0: All right, open your Bibles if you would. Genesis chapter 40, Genesis 40. Ten more chapters to go. Last week I uh, ended the sermon emphasizing uh, the need for us to get out of the what-if mindset and to get into the even-if mindset. And I don't know if I said this last week or not, but it was... It was just something on Friday that I, I heard in passing or I thought of in passing. I don't really remember. Mark had come to the office and, and I said, "Oh, this really profound thought, this kind of an even if rather than what if. And I said, I don't think I'm going to actually talk about it in the sermon. I just wrote it at the end of my notes. And, and then uh, on Saturday night, as I was kind of going my final run through, uh, I recognized that I had time on the end of my notes. And so I just kind of kept it in there. But honestly, it was more of a passing thing. And and then I heard from you guys, so many of you talked about how impactful that was. Uh, The idea of even if instead of what if. You know, what if leads to worry. What if leads to anxiety and depression and, and stress. But even if leads to hope. Well, what if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? That's a whole lot different than saying, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What if I lose my job? What if the economy crashes? What if the person I vote for loses? What if my child has special needs? What if my spouse cheats on me? What if I get cancer? What if, and the more what if questions we ask, the more worried we get. I mean, let's just say that you're, you, you hear that there are potential layoffs at your work. Your boss calls you into his office and if you're the what if person, you're thinking, well, what if I lose my job? What if I get embarrassed by not having any money? I mean, how am I going to pay my bills? What am I going to tell my kids? How am I going to find another job in in this economy? The next thing you know, you're all stressed out about losing your job and it hadn't even happened. But if you change what if to even if, then that's a huge thing, because even if I lose my job, the Lord will not leave me or forsake me. You know, when Sherry would get pregnant, we've got seven daughters and one son, and And people would always ask, so you want a boy or a girl? And my response was always, listen, I'm good either way. Boy or girl is fine with me. And then they would say this. They'd say, well, as long as it's healthy, right? Isn't that a strange thing to say? I'd reply, even if it's not healthy, I'd still want that child. Well, What if the child has special needs? I don't know. Would God leave you or forsake you if you had a special needs child? No. In fact, he's considered you worthy of the privilege of raising a child with special needs. So I would just simply ask, are you what if or even if? What if brings despair, even if brings hope? And what we're going to see this morning is Joseph lives really more of the even if life. Even if I'm in prison. When we left off last week, we saw that Joseph was sold by his brothers to some Midianite traders, and and these Midianite traders then sold him to, uh, as a slave to a man named Potiphar. And and the whole time, Joseph is is faithful to the Lord. And the more faithful he was to God, then then the more successful he was, the more God blessed him. and, And then God's blessing on Joseph made this really big impression on Potiphar. And so Potiphar ends up putting Joseph in charge of everything in his household, like almost everything. And obviously his wife's not and, 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 uh, and the preparation of, of his personal food. And then what he notices man, the more I put Joseph over, then the more God blesses Joseph. And the more God blesses Joseph, then you know what? The more God blesses me, too. Well, Potiphar's wife didn't really like this arrangement, and she wanted Joseph as her own. So day after day, she seduces him. Day after day, he keeps refusing her. And really, I look back, and I think he gave three reasons for refusing. And the first reason was, uh, it would be a sin against my master, and my master trusts me. The second reason was, it would be a sin against my conscience, and my conscience convicts me. And the third reasoning was, it would be a sin against the God who saved me. Like, I cannot do this evil, wicked thing because it would be sin, it would be sin against my master, sin against my conscience, and sin against my God. And then one day nobody's around and she turns up the heat and she grabs him and he runs away and as he's running his way, his garment is left in her hands and then she uses that garment. It becomes all the proof she needs to set him up. And she does. Potiphar comes home, look what the, the Hebrew slave, that you, your Hebrew slave, look, look what he's done. And he had every right to execute Joseph, right? That's the penalty for that, that's the wage for that. But instead, Joseph throws him into the king's prison. And, and honestly, the king's prison is probably a little lighter sentence, but it's not, don't, don't like take that and going, oh, good. NASB later calls it a dungeon. Last week we saw from Psalm 105 that Joseph's feet were afflicted with, with fetters. He was in shackles. He was in irons. In in 3920, which is kind of an interesting thing here, it says, uh, Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. That word confined can be bound. And so the big picture that the the author is making is not necessarily to to dig into the weeds of, of what exactly was this prison like, I think the big picture that the author is making is that no matter where Joseph was, he was faithful to the Lord. Like it, it didn't matter his location, and, 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 and as he was faithful to the Lord, then the Lord was faithful to him. Literally, whatever he did, the Lord made him to prosper. And don't miss that because life is, is terribly unfair to Joseph. Has Joseph done anything wrong? Nothing. He's done nothing wrong at all. And you would think at at some point, Joseph's wondering, like, does the good guy ever win? Is being the good guy even worth it? I mean, if he would have just rejected his father's favoritism, then you know what? He could have been with his brothers still. He'd have been one of the boys. If he would have slept with Mrs. Potiphar, he'd still have his job. But he's an even-if guy. Even if I become a slave, even if temptation comes, even if I get falsely accused, even if I get thrown into prison, even if anything like this happens, I will serve the Lord no matter what. Boy, I wish wish that was in our hearts. Like That's the heartbeat that I want for our church. And in verse 1, look how it begins. It says, it came about after these things. What things? Well, at 17 years old, Joseph was sold by his brothers. When he's 30 years old, he's going to be prime minister of Egypt. So it's sometime between 17 and 30. And we also know that he's been in prison long enough where he's in charge of everything. And in, in today's text, and rather than reading it all the way through, I'm just going to kind of set it up. Today's text, we're going to see that God brings a a couple of new prisoners, and, and, and they're put under Joseph's charge. And, and God gives them some dreams, and, and Joseph is going to, or God's going to interpret these dreams through Joseph. I mean, the very fact that Joseph is willing to interpret these dreams tells us he did not lose faith in God. Right? After all, Joseph had dreams. Remember his dreams? He had two of them. And, and he's still waiting on God to fulfill them. Genesis 37, verse 5, look what it says. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. 37.9, he says, He had still another dream, related it to his brothers, and said, Lo, I have, still had, I have had still another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon, 11 stars were bowing down to me. And they're like, are you serious? You're saying that we're gonna bow before you? That, that nature is gonna bow before you? Like, who do you think you are? And so their brothers got really angry and, and his father, this father who loved him more than all the rest of the brothers, he ends up rebuking him for it. But then it does say that his father, he kind of treasured these things in his heart. He remembered them. And in the meantime, before these dreams get fulfilled, Joseph is going to be a servant in the royal prison. He's going to faithfully do his work as he waits for the day when his dreams come true. And then one day, two new prisoners are added. Look at Genesis 40, beginning in verse 1. Then it came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. Now, these aren't any old prisoners. This is is the chief cupbearer. It's the chief uh, baker. By the way, sometimes you'll hear me say butler instead of cupbearer, same thing, okay? We don't know what their crimes were, um, we do know big picture-wise that, that it wasn't an accident, right? We know big picture-wise that, that ultimately they were arrested for Joseph's sake. Ultimately, they were arrested for the salvation of Israel. God is going to use these, these two people who we don't know their names, we don't know what they did, and, and he's going to use these two people as key players in Joseph's life and the history of the nation of Israel. Which, which means he's going to use these two unknown people to, be, to play key roles in the coming of the Messiah. I mean, imagine that. A baker, a butler, no idea what their names are. They offend their boss, and those will be the tools that God uses to safeguard Israel and bring about the Messiah. And remember last week, again, kind of said it in passing. Joseph is not the hero of the story. Hey, God is the hero of the story. Even if I'm in prison, God is with me. So let me ask you, well, we'll do that in a second. So point number one, Pharaoh's anger, Pharaoh's anger. So where was Joseph in prison? Well, we we saw last week when when Potiphar heard uh, his wife's allegations against Joseph, he was so angry that he put Joseph into the king's jail. Okay, now, now Pharaoh, his, his anger, again, it, it burns against the baker and the cupbearer, and, and then this week, as I'm reading through the text, I just, I recognized something that I'd never seen before, and I thought, this has to be just me, and, and it, so I actually called three pastor buddies of mine, and I said, hey, have you ever seen this before? Um, is it just me? It's so obvious, it sticks out so much that everybody should know this, and, and yet I don't know this, and... and and I'm reading my commentaries and none of them touch on this and I'm going why is nobody talking about this so you go Mike what are you talking about look at 39.1 it's on the screen or you can turn back in your Bibles 39.1 it says now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh the captain of the bodyguard bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there okay so, so here's what we know right now Potiphar is an Egyptian officer of the Pharaoh, but specifically, he's the captain of the bodyguard. Okay, that's Potiphar. He's in charge of the king's executioners. How would you like that title, right? Hey, what do you do for a living? I'm the head executioner. So when the king is furious, he puts the baker and the butler into confinement. It says, in the house of the captain of the bodyguard. Who's the captain of the bodyguard? Who is it? Potiphar. So Potiphar... So where's the prison? Potiphar's house. Now, now, probably not a room in his house, right? In fact, it was probably a prison and his house was on prison property. So it's probably more like, um, like a church parsonage. Like you have the church, but then you have the pastor's house there as well. And so the Pharaoh is furious with his, with his butler and his baker and, and he puts them in, in prison at Potiphar's house Look at verse four, the captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them and he took care of them and they were in confinement for some time. And so what do we know? Joseph is in confinement at Potiphar's house. Why did I not know that? I'm not gonna ask if any of y'all know it because you'll probably all raise your hand and I'll be the only one in the whole room that didn't know that, that'd be embarrassing. Must have hit my head in the accident, that's what happened, that's my excuse. Why did none of the commentaries talk about this? This actually tells me, in fact, look at verse seven really quick. He asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement, this is, this is Joseph, uh, in his master's house. Go figure. But, but I look at that and I go, this actually tells us a whole lot more about the relationship between Joseph and Potiphar than we knew previously. For, for one thing, even though jo- Potiphar threw Joseph in prison, he didn't put him in any prison, he put him in my prison, right? He keeps Joseph close to him. He threw him into his prison so he can have him. Because why? Because everything this man does is a success. God keeps blessing him. I don't want to throw him somewhere else. I want, I want, me, I want him to be with me. Can you see what, what respect, what reverence, what uh, honor that, that Joseph the slave and the prisoner has in the master's house, the head executioner's house? Point number two is Joseph's kindness. Kindness. We know from chapter 39 that God blessed Joseph in everything he did. He blessed Potiphar through Joseph, which kind of brings up the question about his wife, right? Genesis 39, verse 19, look what it says. Now, when his master heard the words of his wife that she was accusing Joseph, right, which he which she spoke to him saying, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. You know what it never tells us? Who was he mad at? Was he mad with his wife? Or was he mad at Joseph? I think when you're reading it, you think, oh, he's mad at Joseph. He's not mad at Joseph, he was mad at Joseph. He puts him in somebody else's prison, not his prison. I think he's angry with his wife. I think he knew that his wife had set up Joseph and he could not prove it wrong. And so to prevent embarrassment to him and prevent embarrassment to his wife, he has Joseph thrown into prison, but he has Joseph thrown into his prison. Potiphar owes Joseph nothing. Joseph is property, just like the rest of his slaves. But there's something different about Joseph. And it is obvious to Potiphar that God is blessing Joseph. Proverbs 16, verse 7, look what it says. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And so these two special prisoners get thrown into prison into the prison, Okay, in the prison of the captain of the bodyguard. Potiphar puts Joseph in charge of them. I mean, maybe he knew that, that Pharaoh would eventually change his mind and, and only imprison them for a short time, and, and Joseph is going to take good care of them. And, you know, if Joseph takes good care of them in my prison, then what's, what are those guys going to say to the Pharaoh about me? That's a benefit, right? After all, these are important men. They're not just any old butler and any old baker, right? They're the chief butler, chief cupbearer, chief baker for the king and his chiefs. You know what? They got people working underneath them. They have influence. And so Potiphar's like, man, the only person I can really trust enough to give these prisoners priority treatment that they deserve, I got to put Joseph in charge of them. Remember last week where I said, Christians, we should be the best workers. We should be the guys. We show up early. We stay late. We work the whole time we're at work. We don't have an attitude about it. We're not on our phone texting all day long. We don't come home and complain about our bosses. We should be the best workers. And and so Potiphar, I I need these guys to be with my best. Who's my best? Joseph is. And, And we don't know how long that they were in confinement because the text only says for some time. You know what we know for sure? Joseph was in prison for two full years. Back in chapter 41, it says at the end of two full years, that's how it starts off. Well, why is that word full in there, two full years? Because sometimes in the Bible, a portion of the years is counted as a full year. And And Moses is actually saying, no, this was two full years. He was there two, at least two full years. And, and so we don't know how long he was in prison. We just know it was at least two full years. I, I like how verse 4, you see what verse 4 says? He took care of them. He took care of them. In other words, he was faithful. He was faithful to God. His faithfulness, faithfulness to God was not limited by his location. His faithfulness to God was not limited by his circumstances, even if I'm a slave, I'm going to serve God faithfully. Even if I'm prison, I'm going to serve God faithfully. Because my faithfulness to God is not determined by where I am. It is not determined by, by what's happening around me. It doesn't, doesn't matter who I'm with. Jesus, Joseph is going to faithfully serve. Joseph faithfully served his dad when the times were good, and he is faithfully serving his slave master when times are bad. And we look through the story, but we know the end of the story. So for us, it's not that big of a deal, except it's a really big deal. See, we know what happened to him tomorrow, right? Because we got Genesis chapter 50. All he knows, today. Today life's really difficult. Today life makes absolutely no sense at all. And so even if it makes no sense, I will be faithful. Look at verse 5. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. And when Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. Then he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? And you see the, the compassion that Joseph has, right? Remember, that word confined, it's, it's, it's translated to bind. It's fetters, it's shackles. I mean, Joseph come down. And now just picture this. I'm, I'm reading this, and I'm kind of laughing, right? Joseph comes down to serve them, right? Because that's what he's supposed to do. He's taking care of them. He comes down to the, maybe the, the, the dungeon steps, and he goes in there, and he sees their downcast faces, and he looks at the, shadows, or the, the shackles. And he asked this really brilliant question Why are you so sad, buddy? We say Genesis is the book of first, right? First time ever that someone was given the Captain Obvious badge. Like, are you serious, Joseph? Just look. We went from the king's palace, now we're in the king's prison. Except that wasn't their problem. Look at verse 8. Then they said to him, We have had a dream and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. You see why they're sad? Not because they missed their wives and kids. It's not because the shackles are digging into their heels or their legs. They're sad because they had these really disturbing dreams. They're sad because they've lost hope. They're sad because they're what ifs and not even ifs. And, and you just have to love Joseph's humility. I can't interpret dreams, but God can. Tell me your dreams. Look at verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me. And on the vine were three branches, and as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe ripe grapes. And now Pharaoh's uh, cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days, and within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you will be Pharaoh's, You will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom uh, when you were his cupbearer. Now, when I read this, I mean, does, does anybody see anything really disturbing about this? Well, I had these dreams, and these buds turned to blossoms, and blossoms turned to grapes, and I'm squeezing grapes in the Pharaoh's cup and I'm. Mean, that's just sad. Now listen, in Joseph's days, that dreams were a whole huge deal. There were actually professional dream interpreters. Like We'll see that later with Pharaoh. But let's look at point three, God's interpretation. God's interpretation. So Joseph hears the, the chief cupbearer's dream and, and it was favorable and and his dream reflected his profession, right? But his profession was actually really accelerated. Buds to blossoms to grapes to wine, three days. And so Joseph's like, hey, hey listen, man, three days. You got three days. Like the three days you're going to be restored to your position. Three days, you're back at chief cupbearer. Three days, listen. You can stay on your head for three days. Three days is easy. And when that happens, look at verse 14. Joseph says, only... Only when you go back to Pharaoh, only keep me in mind when it goes well with you. Please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. Again, called a house. A couple things to point out here. First of all, that even though Joseph is faithful as a prison, uh, as a prisoner, in fact, he's an imprisoned slave, that doesn't mean he wants to stay there forever, right? He'd like to get out of there. I mean, it describes the prison in verse 14 as a house, and then in 15, it's called a dungeon. Oh, by the way, that, that word is the same word that's used earlier when his brothers threw him into a pit. But in 14, he asks, is the cupbearer for kindness? Remember last week, we talked about the word hesed. It's the Hebrew word hesed. It's, it's mercy, it's compassion, it's love, it's grace, it's kindness, it's faithfulness. And there's not really one word that you can kind of put around hesed. And he says, like, please just be kind to me. Please show compassion to me, love me, care for me, show kindness to me, extend grace to me, be faithful to me. See, since, I, or since God interpreted your dream for you, could you please just send God's kindness to me? And we get a little insight into Joseph here when he asks his butler to, to remember him. I mean, it's hard not to go through Joseph's life and not paint him as the, the guy who can do no wrong, right? And he just happily suffers for Jesus. And, you know, I think he's tired of it. Not of, of living for Christ or living for the things of God. I just think he's, it's just hard. You have two more years of this. And it's just hard. Look at Verse 15. For I was, Joseph says, in fact, kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing that they should have put me into this dungeon. Now, this might might be one of the most impressive statements that, that Joseph has made in what he doesn't say. He doesn't blame his brothers. He doesn't talk about them selling him. What does he talk about? The Midianites for stealing him. Stealing him from my own land, the Hebrew land. Technically, they didn't have land at this point. It's just an area that they occupied. Now, you hear this. Let's say you're the baker. Now you're downcast. Oh, no, what's going to happen to me? And I, don't know, I had this dream and I couldn't understand it. And, and then you hear, oh, you're in you're, you're, three days, man, three days. You are back in your position. And you can just picture the cupbearer, right? Oh, oh, me, me next. Me next. Could you, could you, okay, interpret my dream now. Look at verse 16. When the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream, behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top of the baskets, there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. And the birds were eating them out of the basket in my head. Hmm. So Joseph, I had these three baskets on my head and all this bread to give the Pharaoh. But whenever I went to give him something, the birds would, would take it away and and so Joseph, do the three, ba- the three baskets, does that stand for three days? Is it just three days? Does, does the abundance of bread in the baskets mean the abundance of riches for me? And Joseph is like, well, since you've asked. Verse 18, then Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. Three baskets are three days. You had that right. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your bread or your head from you and we will hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh off of you. You are right. Three days. Three days you're going to be executed. And then the birds are going to eat your flesh off the tree. So you, you, you really have to appreciate Joseph here. Joseph is a man of integrity. He's going to tell the truth even though the truth was going to be hard to hear. Now I don't know if this guy got right with God during those three days, I do know that he had truth spoken to him. Look at verse 20. Thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his office and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted it to him. So it happened exactly as God said it would. After three days, the cupbearer was restored, and after three days, the baker was beheaded. And look at verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but but forgot him. How in the world did he forget him? I mean, his buddy's head is cut off, probably rolls down the aisle, and then he forgets the guy who, who said it would happen. Here's what we know for sure. He forgot him, but God didn't. The next verse, chapter 40, verse 1, I'm 41, verse 1. Now it happened at the end of two full years. It's two more years. That little space between verse 23 of chapter 40 and verse 1 of 41 is two years. Two years in shackles, two years in a dungeon, two years that he remembers that he's been forgotten. So how do we apply this? Three things. Number one, do not let your sorrows be licensed to sin. Do not let your sorrows be licensed to sin. Sorrows abound. We, we live in a fallen world and there are difficult people that we have to deal with. There are catastrophic things that happen to all of us. Uh, living in a fallen world is, is sorrowful. The, the guy that, that hit me this week, I, I looked at him and they're, they had to take the jaws of life thing to get me out of the, my vehicle. And I kept thinking, wow, that is a cool piece of machinery. <laughs> really it was, but I'm thinking, I really wish I was on the other side of this door and not this side. But the guy, he was really, I mean, just disturbed. You know, he knew it was his fault. And and I looked over at him. I said, are you you okay? And he said, yeah. And I said, did you just not see me? And he goes, I just didn't see you. I said, I get it. Like, I could have been mad. I really liked that truck. Really, I did. It's an old truck. I really liked it. You know, I know that it's, it's just harder, Right. I thought, it's just compassion for the guy. I mean, living in a fallen world is, is, is sorrowful. But it doesn't give us a license to sin. Look what James says. James 1 verse 2, he says, In fact, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in Nothing. You know, we touched on those verses briefly last week, but you know, get, let's get a little context to it. What do you think the trials were that, that James's readers were being encouraged to endure? Like it's easy to read, uh, yeah, you know, consider it all joy, count it all joy, my brothers are going to encounter various trials. Yeah, but what were, what were their trials? Well, since James is filled with, with references to poverty and wealth, we can assume that, that poverty was a real problem. And then the rich, the rich people were dragging the Christians into court and the rich people were withholding wages. And these Christians are exiles. They're scattered abroad and they're trying to establish themselves in a new land. So they had plenty of reasons to be sorrowful. And, and so where does James actually start that? And he starts with the word consider. Why? Because it starts here. Consider, it begins in the mind because what you think is what you become. Belief always affects your behavior. And what you think about God is the filter by which you will think about everything else. And, and not trying to make it about me at all, but man, you know how thankful I was? This guy T-bones me and I run into this concrete barrier and, and I mean, two huge impacts. And I remember like sitting there and thinking, I'm okay. That was the first time. I'm okay. Praise God. I'm okay. Where's my phone? (laughs) It was down by my gas pedal. And I looked down and I think two big impacts and like, wow, I can actually go all the way to my gas pedal. Literally nothing in my driver's area was affected at all. Wow. And I call 911, and I'm, I'm on the phone with them, maybe 10 seconds. Guy shows up, and he's got a badge on. And I start talking to him, and she says, who are you talking to? And I said, who am I talking to? And he says, detective, and I don't remember his name. And she said, okay, I'll hang up with you. I go, are you kidding me? Yeah, ambulance guys, they were great, everybody was great. I get to the ER, and, and Dr. Alex meets me there. It was great, I, my nurse says, uh, you know, let me get your name and what's your? Name. She had my name on the thing, but I think she wanted to see if I knew my name. Um, so, uh, Mike DeGuzman, she said, "Oh yeah, you're the pastor at the Y." You know, people get in accidents and they're so angry about it, and I'm like, "This is so cool." I think mean, not the accident, right? <laughs> this is so cool. God, you're so good. Proverbs 43, verse five. Look what it says. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? And here's the solution. You got despair, you downtrodden, downcast, hope in God. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. You want to be cured from despair? You want the cure for sorrow? It's your hope. Hope in God. You want good countenance? Then change where your hope comes from. Change your mindset from the what if to even if. Even if brings hope. What if brings despair? Consider it. Consider it all joy, my brothers. When, not if. When you encounter various trials. And then he says, knowing. Knowing. Where is that knowing? It's here. A.W. Tozer, I love the quote. Most important thing you think about is what you think about when you think about God because that will affect the way you think about everything else. And a sovereign God uses sorrowful times to make us stronger and to make us more useful as Christians. Have you ever said this, Psalm 119 verse 71, it it is good for me that I was afflicted. It is good for me that I was afflicted that I may learn your statutes. Have you ever looked at affliction like that? It's good. It's good for me that I was afflicted. Remember Job? you talking about affliction? His suffering made no sense at all. Like Joseph, he was, he was sinless, he wasn't being sinful. He wasn't ultimately sinless, right? He was a righteous man. Satan comes up and talks to God, and, and Satan doesn't bring Job's name up to God. Who brings our job's name up? God does. God brought his name up, not Satan. God gives permission to, to, to Satan to kill Job's children. Don't touch Job, take all his finances, destroy everything he owns. And the only thing that God leave, that says that Satan leaves him is his wife and his good health. Some would argue that leaving his wife was the most destructive thing he did. But the next thing you know, second time he presents to God, God says, fine. You can torture him all the way to the point of death. You're just not allowed to kill him. And his friends, they come along and they have nothing to say for seven days. It literally says they just sat there with him silent for seven days. That was the best thing they could do. Because as soon as they opened their mouth, they're like, Job, you, you had to have done something wrong. Like you need to repent. He didn't do anything wrong. There was a sovereign God at work, and I I, I just, I have to ask you, is your God big enough for you to go through trials, go through the sorrows, have the despair and depression and everything else, and not fall away from him when things don't make sense? What you think about when you think about God is the most important thing you think about because it determines how you think about everything else. So Joseph goes through these, uh, not years, but weeks and weeks and months of, of, this, of these, this torture. And, and look how he responds in, in Job 19. As for me, I know my Redeemer lives. And at last he will take his stand on the earth, even after my skin is destroyed. destroyed yet from my flesh I shall see God. And so Job trusts in this sovereign God who is over all things, including his hurt and including all the loss he's had. And and listen, that is a big deal in our prosperity gospel world. In the prosperity gospel world, they are convinced that you can just name it and claim it. Right, if you want it, it is yours. And if you don't get it, you just need more faith to get it. Listen, what do you do with Joseph? What do you do with Job? What do you do with Paul who, who says through many afflictions, Is your God big enough so that when sorrows come, you sing praises, or when sorrows come, do you respond in sin? You see, what you consider and what you know will determine how you will respond. It all starts here. That's why we take such a serious approach to you knowing this. Number two, use God's gift for his glory. Use God's gifts for his glory. Remember, Joseph is not the hero of the story. He was obedient to God, yes. He was, uh, he was obedient to his earthly masters when he was harshly treated, but he is not the hero. And he doesn't claim to be. Who does he give credit for interpreting dreams? God does that. I mean, can you imagine if Joseph said, hey, my, my God interprets dream, ask him. Now he's a willing vessel for God to, be, to use. Yeah, you know, this last, this past week, I received one of the best compliments for our church that I've ever had. And I was trying to figure out, how do I tell you guys? Because this isn't a compliment for me or even our elders. This is to you guys. Last year, I think it was around March time frame, the international director of an organization called Ambassadors for Christ International visited our church. He told me he was visiting. We ended up having lunch together. Uh, we have some common friends and and this week he called me and said, he said, you know, he goes, it's been almost a year and I have not been able to get your church off my mind. And he said this, he says, I've never seen a church like it. That can be good or bad. <laughs> Listen, and I'm just going to read this. this he, Because I wrote it as he was talking to me on the phone, I was just typing it out. I was like, wow, that's, that's great. He, he then said, CBC is a place Where there was the redemption of the broken. I just thought, wow, that is so cool. The the broken are redeemed. How do you get that from one time visiting? He was sitting right up here up front, and he said, it was just during that welcome, just talking to people. I could tell that this was a place where there was the redemption of the broken. And I think, well, shouldn't every church be about the redemption of the broken, right? Shouldn't every church be more of a hospital for sinners to come to than a, a, a showcase for the saints to be at? And, and if you're broken today, you know what? I'm so glad you're here. That's what we do. That's what God do, does. He we, we get to walk through the weeds with wounded people. And then he said this, he said, How refreshing it was, and I'm quoting him, how refreshing it was to meet a variety of men and women who had obvious ministry roles in the church, but they weren't on staff. He got that from our welcome. Ephesians 4, verse 11, it says, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ as a result, as a result, in other words, as a result of of, of growing up into maturity, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Like that's the goal of the church. It's, it's my ministry. It's the ministry of your Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, elders. Like It's our ministry to equip you so that you can use the things that God has gifted you with for his glory. That's your ministry. Like That's what you're supposed to do. And, and when all of us are, are doing our part, then all of us grow up in our faith. And the problem in the Christian church today is this is no longer being taught, but we can entertain the people so much that they come in because they're curious. And then we get a church, churches that are full of full grown babies that never grow up and they may attend church and they may sing the songs, but they don't actually know God's word. And if you don't know God's word, you can't live out God's word. And Christianity becomes these, these little cliches like "let go and let God" or "or God helps those who help themselves," and and that might sound real spiritual. But Benjamin Franklin actually said that, and it's not biblical. We want to be people of the Word, and that's I love the song "Word of God Speak," pour down like rain, right? But but I listen, I can I can preach. With, so I turn blue in the face. But it does no good if your hearts are angry you're bitter and you're going, God, you put me in this situation. I can't believe. No. Even in the most sorrowful of times, even the most difficult of times, don't take that despair and turn it into a license for sin. Use the gifts that God has given you for his glory. And last one, number three, see the deity of Jesus in the details of Joseph see recognize the deity of Jesus into in the details of Joseph we've been working on monday nights through old testament books one at a time and so last week we did first and second chronicles which you go why in the world would anybody come to a bible study with first and second chronicles it was awesome so good and what we're trying to do is just say Look, we're not we're trying to overview the whole book but where's Jesus in this right and and so uh, John 5, 39. It says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it's these, the scriptures testify about me. And the scriptures that Jesus is talking about are books like first and second Chronicles and books like Genesis. And Joseph is one of the characters in Genesis that point directly to Jesus. And chapter 40 is, is no exception at all. In verses 1 to 3, like Jesus, Joseph is numbered with transgressors. Like he, He's counted as one of them. He's one of the the, the prisoners in there. And, and so Joseph has a prominent role in our Bibles, but he was just a really good prisoner in his day. Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would be numbered among transgressors and you read the Gospel accounts and you recognize that this prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus being on the cross between uh, two transgressors. And you also see the deity of Jesus in the details of Joseph and the fact that both Jesus and Joseph were a means of blessing to to one person and a pronouncer of judgment to the other. When Jesus was on the cross, he blessed the one thief and he condemned the other. Joseph told one of the love of God and he told the other of the wrath of God. Joseph has a prophetic mindset here. He gave evidence of his knowledge of the future and he gave credit to God alone. By the way, that's what Jesus did when he said that he speaks what the Father tells him. And so the scriptures speak of Jesus. And because the scriptures speak of Jesus, then we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man so that every man is mature in Christ. And as you obey what you know, you will grow. But if you come in with a, God, I dare you to try to teach me something, you'll stay in despair. Father, thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus, who shows up all over the scriptures. And he shouldn't surprise us because that's what he said would happen. Father, thank you for this man named Joseph, for the example that we have of, of one who would endure well, who would, see the, who would go through difficult times, times that none of us have gone through. And through it all would be a blessing to you. God, give us that attitude. I thank you that you've given us the power of your spirit to live out those things that are pleasing to you. And and oftentimes it's just an unwilling heart. And so I pray for our hearts that we would desire to be pleasing to you in all things and in all ways. Give us opportunities this week, no matter what happens, to please you over ourselves. We pray in Christ's name, amen.